0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. My guest for this program is investigative journalist Lee Rood. Lee is the reader's watchdog at the Des Moines Register. Her reader's watchdog column helps Iowans get answers and accountability from public officials, from the justice system, businesses, and nonprofits. Recently, Lee completed a four-month project. That was with the help of a grant from the Pulitzer Center taking a look at Boys Town in Nebraska. Boys Town is uh, one of the oldest, largest, also wealthiest, and most renowned youth-focused charities in the country. It's headquartered uh, on a 640-acre village on the west side of Omaha, uh, and Boys Town advertises that it provides, quote, the highest level of care and safety for children. Lee Rood joins us now. Welcome back to our program, Lee.
1: Thanks for having me, Ben.
0: And we just want to mention here, be advised, listeners, that our discussion will include the topic of sexual assault. Start off Lee by giving us some more background on Boys Town in Omaha. It's uh, present in other places in in the country. When was it started? A little bit about its history and its mission, please.
1: Sure. So, Boys Town is iconic in Nebraska. It's been around for 106 years. It's like every I grew up in Omaha, everybody knows Boys Town. It's it's um it's really beloved. Um it was started by Um, Monsignor Edward J. Flanagan, again, 106 years ago. um, Originally, he was a Catholic priest who was looking out for um, kids who were living on the streets. And with borrowed money, he purchased an old Victorian mansion in downtown Omaha um, and started this home for um, needy kids. Um, Over time, with more borrowed money again, he um, expanded to a farm on the west side of Omaha and built this incorporated village um, where he hoped that he would be able to house as many kids as possible. In its heyday, Boys Town housed hundreds of youth. Um, They live in family-style homes on its its campus, very nice brick homes, it's bucolic, almost like a college campus. Um, It also has for years um, housed foster children from Iowa and other states. And then it's got a, a whole bunch of um, preventive programs these days. It's got offices in Des Moines and Council Bluffs and Sioux City, um, as well as residential programs much smaller um, elsewhere around the U.S. And it and it has a research hospital, too, where it provides specialized care.
0: Mm-hmm. Just how big is this charity? How big has it grown to be?
1: Um, it's huge. It's one of the largest nonprofits in the country. It has at least billion um, in assets, largely through the kindness of Americans who have donated um, to the cause for decades.
0: Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more, Lee, about the youth who are brought to Boys Town today in the last, in in, in the recent times.
1: So kids can, at Boys Town can be placed there by their parents. Um, They would be like um, private pay, Um, kids who just need some love and attention, or they could be placed there um, as delinquents um, by courts or through the foster care system. Um, They stay typically about um, a year, a year and a half. Um, They go to school on the campus. They're provided therapy. Um, They live with um, house parents um, who care for other children as well. Um, It's a 24-7 sort of operation. Um, that also has its own security and has its own police force because it is its own village.
0: Lee, it's important context to have you please describe the environment, the culture that these youth, and it is called Boys Town, but in the meantime, it's it's both boys and girls, right, who, who come to this place.
1: Yeah, it's been for boys and girls since, um, you know, the 1970s, and essentially um, the kids there are um, gain privileges or lose them based on the behavior at home and at school. They don't have a lot of contact with the outside world. Um, they aren't allowed to have cell phones. Their their correspondence with people is monitored. Um, everything sort of goes through Boys Town employees.
0: Okay. With that as a background there, uh, let's go to the um, darker side of side of boys town which you focus your investigative reporting on uh one an entire article in your series of articles uh looks at um the uh, uh how boys town programs have been associated with some high profile suspected or documented cases of sexual abuse and rape uh you devote one part of your series to some cases that have made headlines i want to have you talk about some of the crime data that you gathered Uh, about um, uh, involving Boys Town in the past few years?
1: Yeah, so just as part of my initial reporting, um, what I did is I requested some um, pretty standard um, crime statistics and information from the Boys Town Police Department. Um, I was denied any information um, by the police chief there, and so um, I went to um, the Nebraska Crime Commission and the FBI crime report, and discovered that in addition to you know more than a hundred assaults um, of different kinds, serious um, uh, violent crimes, there had also been reported twelve uh, rape offenses in the last five years, which really um, was significant because Boys Town has cared for fewer kids um, in recent years than um, in decades past. So they've had fewer kids on the on the. Uh, Boys Town campus in Omaha um, fewer than 290 kids for the last five years. So to have five rapes um, at a place that is essentially housing um, fewer kids than at some elementary schools, um, that was significant.
0: Talk a little bit more about the secrecy that you encountered that surrounds some of these reports and, and why that would be.
1: Well, so what was surprising to us initially um when we got these statistics was um we asked for basic police incident reports um from boys town police having to do with these rapes um that had been reported and the police chief denied us any access to them, saying to us that Nebraska law allows for the withholding of investigative reports. Um we argued back that we weren't asking for investigative reports. We were simply asking for um incident reports that, that journalists across the country get um from police departments around the country. Um we are still fighting that battle. So we don't we don't have details about um these twelve rapes. We only know that um one instance um of a man who had sex with a fifteen year old girl from Texas Um, he was convicted. And then, of course, there have been other assaults that have happened um, prior to that.
0: Do we know from the data that you've gathered in recent years how many victims of sexual abuse there have been?
1: No, because the state of Nebraska um, will not disclose um, child maltreatment uh, statistics at Boys Town saying that that would um, violate confidentiality laws. Um, so, really, the public has no way of knowing about the safety of children on the Boys Town campus.
0: J- just the numbers of sexual assaults or alleged sexual assaults, would how would that uh, compromise confidentiality?
1: I suppose that they could argue that Boys Town is such a small community um, that it would somehow identify um, children on the campus. But again, we when we ask for information from both Boys Town police, or the state of Nebraska. We weren't looking for names. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, we said that names could be redacted um, from the information. We just wanted to know what was being alleged. Um, For a very long time, a couple months, which was very unusual for us to wait this long, but um, Boys Town kind of put us on hold um, as we were seeking this information. Eventually, they put us in touch with a, a media consultant that they hired in New York out of Brooklyn, um, he really downplayed um, these rape offenses that had been reported to the state and federal authorities, um, saying that most of them involved um, teenagers merely touching one another. Um, but we argued, you know, why would a police chief report rape offenses if if they were, say, just touching or fondling um, or that kind of abuse?
0: Mm-hmm. And did you get anywhere with your further... Um, so, of questions, uh, they, did they budge at all there?
1: No, they did not. And, um, you know, as we pushed for more information on a number of fronts from Boys Town, as I got more and more into my reporting, Boys Town um, just basically kind of shut us down and said that they weren't going to participate anymore in the story.
0: Mm-hmm at all. So we have limited information uh, from them. Talk about Tommy James. Um, He's a Birmingham, Alabama attorney uh, who has filed numerous lawsuits stemming from allegations of abuse in youth residential homes. Um, And you point out he has never sued Boys Town, but he's very acquainted with these types of lawsuits. Tell us what he had to say about the situation at Boys Town.
1: Yeah, when uh, we kind of this out uh, to Tommy and what we found, um, he said, quote, I've never seen a worse case of the fox guarding the hen house. And he was referring to, again, Boys Town having its own security and police um, and not really relying on outside authorities um, to, to provide added oversight um, in these cases. Um, again, the kids who, who live in these facilities Some of them are, are, you know, for-profit, really awful environments, um, very spare um, around the country um, that have gotten a lot of um, attention. Boys Town, though, is, you know, um, probably the wealthiest home in the country as far as as we can uh, gather. Um, And he said, you know, the problem with that is that these children are cloistered. And you they, they don't really have anywhere to go, and and that's kind of a problem across the country.
0: Well, I, I want to continue our conversation, Lee Rude. We have to take a break. Uh, my guest uh, today, investigative journalist Lee Rude, uh, watchdog columnist at the Des Moines Register, and really this mammoth project that she just completed is so important to read to take in when we come back uh, we'll hear more from lee's investigation also some audio uh, from one of the young women she interviewed uh, who um, has a lawsuit um, is she, that she was sexually abused while a resident at boystown uh, we'll hear about that when we return it's river to river from ipr news Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
0: Back with more of River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer. My guest this hour, investigative journalist Lee Rood. She's the watchdog columnist at the Des Moines Register, recently completing a four-month project uh, resulting in a series of articles you really have to check out at the Des Moines Register. Um, this uh, wonderful journalism work, important, not Easy to read, to hear about, but very important uh, with the help of a grant from the Pulitzer Center, taking a look at Boys Town in Nebraska. Lee, for this series, you interviewed a young woman named Shailen Nielsen. Uh, We have audio taken from a video that you have uh, on the Des Moines Register website as part of your series. But before we hear that, um, uh, tell us a little bit about Shailen, and how she ended up at Boys Town.
1: Well, Shaylin, uh was, like a lot of kids, a place who didn't really have anywhere to go. Um, her mother had died when she was young. She lived in Michigan with her grandmother, um, who also was dying of breast cancer. She was truant a lot um, from school because she was looking after her grandmother, and so A judge decided with her probation officer to send her to Boys Town, which was 800 miles away for her. Initially, she loved it. Um, She loved everything about it because she um, finally had kind of a family home situation, which she hadn't had in a very long time. And then uh, she was transferred to a new home uh, where she told us that she was sexually abused um, by a house parent in that home.
0: Okay, let's listen to a bit of audio that you recorded. Shailen Nielsen, now 25, um, uh, she was uh, 18 when she was sexually abused while a resident at Boys Town.
2: It seemed harmless at first just because of the way that he would not be afraid of when he did it, um, and it was it came on slowly, but it kept increasing, and the hugs became more and more Graphic, I should say like he started moving up our dresses and um, He came into my room um, In the morning and laid in bed with me and tried touching me inappropriately um, And when you're in a situation like that where you're not able to vent um, or Journal your emotions or feelings without a staff member reading them you feel really trapped because I wasn't really in the place to report to anyone because the person who I report to is the person that was assaulting me Um, and the person that you're supposed to reach out to is the person that was causing the direct harm to me and that makes my experience at Boys Town very conflicting because Boys Town did truly save my life but I respect Boys Town enough as an organization to realize that this is not okay.
0: Okay, Shaylin Nielsen, now 25 years old, recounting the sexual uh, um, abuse she suffered at the age of 18. Lee, tell us a little bit more about your interactions with Shailen and her experience. It's very interesting that she she says she owes her life um, to Boystown. At the same time, she's still overcoming trauma from these experiences.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, Shailen really loved Boys Town. In fact, um, she... Uh, help them raise money. Um, when uh, people would come to visit Boys Town, which is kind of its own tourist site in Nebraska, um, she would sing Boys Town's praises and she would go to Okaboji, where they have a camp for kids um, and talk to different donors about her life experience and tell them how wonderful Boys Town was um, until this happened. And then when she um, and others, including uh, a young woman by the name of Taylor Weatherall, um, reported their abuse, everything kind of turned on them. Um, Boys Town, you know, uh, uh, after this lawsuit was filed, uh, said that it did uh, nothing wrong, that it reported the abu- abuse properly under Nebraska, or under Nebraska law. Um, and... Um, so did uh, the man who was accused of the abuse. Um, in the end, um, both uh, Shaylin and Taylor uh, received settlements or reached a settlement agreement with Boys Town, which is confidential. Mm-hmm. And that just happened. Uh, one settlement was reached in September, and the other was reached uh, in October after our stories ran.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so those lawsuits have been settled.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And neither young woman is now allowed to speak at all um, about what happened to them at Boystown.
0: In your reporting, you, you say that both these young women told uh, told you that they, they tried to go to the Omaha police when Boystown police, their own police force, failed to act. Uh, but the Omaha police told them they could not do anything. Um, Go into that a little bit more. People may find it hard to understand that this private charity um, has so much power when it comes to such allegations.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's very odd. You know, Boystown is unique um, because it does have its own village, and as part of that village, it has this police department. Um, and when Taylor Weatherall and her mother were getting nowhere. Um, with Boys Town after um reporting after about a year and hearing nothing back from Boys Town, they said that they went to the Omaha Police Department, but the Omaha Police Department said they couldn't do anything because Boys Town was conducting its own investigation. Eventually Boys Town told them that they didn't have enough evidence to proceed with a criminal case. And eventually Boys Town told us of Of the 12 other uh, rape offenses that we found out, about about half of those were uh, not forwarded on for possible prosecution because they said they didn't have enough evidence. Six of them were forwarded on to the Douglas County Attorney's Office, and it's unclear to us what happened with those and why they weren't prosecuted because we don't have the names and we don't have any dates or details to pursue with the Douglas County Attorney's Office.
0: Mm-hmm. But to cl- be be clear, it is completely Boys Town's prerogative what cases, the seriousness of a case, whether to pass it on to law enforcement, the Omaha police, for instance, outside of Boys Town. It's their decision entirely?
1: Yes. Yes. It's their decision entirely. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. What does Boys Town Or you reached out to Boys Town, you said they're not saying much about these cases, but what did they say to the claim that Boys Town, in this instance and others that you've documented here and been documented by others, does not protect children or that it does not report incidents to law enforcement for investigation? What did they say to that claim?
1: Boys Town says that, you know, safety is their number one priority, and they say that they have a number of ways that kids, could report um, behavior, uh, whether it be online or in-person, um, and there are lots of ways for kids to speak up, and in fact, that they're taught to speak up if anything happens that's inappropriate. Um, but, you know, other people, and they all, Boys Town also says that they report um, any abuse reports that come to them to law enforcement and to the appropriate oversight authorities, but You know, there are two um, organizations that are supposed to provide added oversight in Nebraska for this kinds of things. Um, One is the Inspector General for Child Welfare in the state. Um, The other is Disability Rights Nebraska, um, which um, is supposed to receive reports for kids um, in their facility um, for kids with um, psychological issues. But neither of those organizations had heard anything about sex abuse um, and certainly not the rapes, um, the 12 rapes that we discovered.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you, we have to ask then, given the lack of transparency, it seems, how many Shailen Nielsen's um, and, and the other woman, how many of cases are there like those? Is that the question that you, you've been asking yourself the whole time?
1: Yeah, you know, so, so my history is In all of this, um, I've covered child welfare for years um, at the Des Moines Register, and this has become an issue nationally. Um, More and more research is showing that children are abused in these kinds of facilities. They're also very vulnerable. Um, And no matter how much money you have or um, how much staffing, um, it seems that sexual abuse reports um, either, you know, from youth to youth, or occasionally um, youth um, involved somehow with a worker at these facilities becomes an issue. Um, It's become so much of an issue. It's been the subject of um, reports from the Government Accountability Office um, over the years um, in the federal government. And it's the reason why there's um, bipartisan uh, legislation right now in Congress uh, that aims to deal with this by adding more transparency. If that were to pass, um, it would be the first federal legislation of its kind in the country.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to ask you more about that in just a moment. But uh, to make sure that we've tapped out all that Boys Town has to say about this in its defense, I want to read a a statement that you have in your article from um, the uh, Boys Town and have you react to it. Um, Their statement that you provided, uh, unfortunately, no safety system is perfect. Bad things can happen and do happen in child care settings, even when staff members and leadership are diligent and watchful. And while some of these situations are often unavoidable, they are still unacceptable. Even one incident in which a child is harmed is one too many. We have to admit this is a large organization, and and to expect that there would be no incidents is... Is unreasonable. I think you would agree, Lee. But that's not what you're you're saying with this investigation, is it?
1: Well, I mean, the the problem is is that you know as we asked Kelly Garcia, who's the director of Iowa Department of Health and Human Services, you know what what should be expected? How many sexual assaults of children in a residential facility um, for youth uh, should be tolerated? And she said no rape of children is acceptable. And yet, you know, the state of Iowa and other states still place children at Boys Town. So, um, you know, there's a problem there, especially for parents, especially for parents who just want to check on the type of maltreat the maltreatment that happens at these kinds of places. There's no way to really find out, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's happening,
0: even though. Millions in federal taxpayer dollars go to Boys Town, and also millions uh, in Iowa taxpayer money. Uh, You you elucidate in your your article 14.6 million from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services flowing each year to Boys Town, uh, according to some tax documents. Also, from Iowa, Iowa's Department of Health and Human Services, contracts uh, Boys Town for Foster Care, uh, more than $1.3 million last year to accommodate 24 youths, you write in your article. Um, tell us more about your interactions with Iowa officials you contacted about your investigation.
1: Yeah, so one of the questions that we've had since the stories ran is, you know, what is your response to this, and what is the state doing to safeguard the children that Iowa sends there? Um, we have not heard back um, from Kelly Garcia or the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, So we're waiting to see. There's still lots more to report on this. Um, We're also uh, reaching out to the state of Nebraska and other authorities um, trying to get their response um, to see what kind of safeguards they're trying to build in to these contracts. Mm -hmm.
0: And so there will be chapters left to be written here.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mhm. Talk a little bit more about the other other charities, other um nonprofits in the same business as Boys Town.
1: So there's, you know, there are are both for-profit and nonprofit um companies um all across the country that have specialized this. The troubled teen industry is a uh multi-billion dollar industry in in the country. Um all across the country and in Iowa, um, we have um, there have been reports of a mix of different kind of abuse, excessive use of um, seclusion and restraint, um, inadequate education, um, uh, just abuse among the teens or abusive behavior by staff members. Um, the GAO documented fifteen hundred cases of child maltreatment. Um, in just one year, in 34 states across the country. Over the years, I've written, um, you know, volumes on um, facilities here that have been shut down in Iowa. From, I don't know if you remember Midwest uh, Academy in Ke- Keokuk, uh, Clarenda Academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Clarendra Academy, uh, which was owned by a for-profit profit company called Sequel. Um, both of those have been shut down. Um, they just continue to have problems um, of this nature, which is why really this caught my eye in in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. And the root of the problem, I want to talk about Congress, possible con- congressional action in a moment after the break. But the root of a of the problem, in in, in a nutshell, in your opinion, after this investigation, is what?
1: I think that you know, um, no matter how good the facility is. Um, these children, again, are very cloistered. There's very little transparency, um, about what is happening with them. And the kids are really isolated. So it just takes, um, you know, one vulnerable child, um, to be isolated for something like this to happen. Um, Boys Town does have, uh, a lot of policies and procedures to try to prevent this. This is true. Um. But when you have delinquent kids living with kids who are just simply uh, foster kids um, who are very vulnerable, along with adults who live with these kids twenty-four-seven, you know things can happen.
0: I wonder because of this series getting out awareness about it. Lee, have others who were children, um, teens, perhaps, or in their early twenties, who were at Boys Town, contacted you uh, with their stories that you're investigating
1: yes they have and um one of the difficulties um in reporting on something like this is that there is a statute of limitations to reporting offenses that happened and it's and it's pretty sad too because um other people who told us um they've been abused people that i've interviewed um they often don't come forward for years because they didn't feel safe when they were young. Um, so, and this isn't just true of Boys Town. It, it's happened with other stories that by the time somebody reaches adulthood, the, the statute of limitations for for, you know, like filing charges has already expired. But we are looking into some of those cases.
0: We'll be back after a short break uh, with Lee Rood, investigative journalist, watchdog columnist at the Des Moines Register, um, sharing the results of her um, four-month project uh, that was uh, done with the help of a grant from the Pulitzer Center, taking a look at uh, Boys Town, headquartered in Nebraska. We'll be back with Lee uh, in a final segment. It's River to River from IPR News.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
0: Back with more River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer. My guest this hour, Lee Rood of the Des Moines Register, investigative journalist, their watchdog columnist and Recently, uh, Lee completed a four-month project. Uh, uh, A grant from the Pulitzer Center made that possible, looking at Boys Town in Nebraska. Well, let's talk a little—you mentioned it earlier in the program, Lee, but you've mentioned that this has gained attention, not just because of Boys Town, but because of other similar um, cases uh, in similar types of nonprofits to help troubled youth gained attention from a bipartisan group of lawmakers in Congress. Um, what are How many are in favor of, of changing laws here? What would be the law change that would make sense?
1: Well, so different things have been proposed um, in Congress um, over the years. Um, there is something um, in both the House and Senate right now um, called the Stop Institutional Child Abuse Act. It's supported by 46 different members, a bipartisan group um, that would provide greater oversight and data transparency for for kids in these kinds of programs. Um, Also, um, implement sort of recommendations to develop information sharing among states, um, and then promote best practices um, um, to kind of stop this kind of abuse. Um, Right, since since this this is a relatively new um piece of legislation um that's a pretty good number um and people are hopeful among the co-sponsors um in the senate are uh Pete Ricketts who's the former governor of Nebraska and another um in the house is congresswoman Congresswoman Marionette Miller Meeks um from Iowa um so we're kind of trying to see how this develops um You know, there have been a lot of different proposals that come at this from um, different perspectives, but we'll see how it develops over time. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Lee, this is something of a a personal legacy story for you, Um, and I guess we're sort of ending here with how this all began for you. Um, As you point out in, in one of the articles in this series, 50 years ago, Your dad won a Pulitzer Prize uh, with a couple of others at the Omaha Sun newspapers for reporting on Boys Town fundraising. Take us back to how this project started for you and tell us about your dad's Pulitzer Prize winning reporting.
1: Well, that's the odd thing about all of this. I never set out to really do any sort of investigation of Boys Town. Um, What happened was months ago, um, I was sort of chagrined about the loss of local investigative reporters nationally. And I was thinking about writing a piece about that. Um, My father and his colleagues at the Omaha Sun newspapers in Omaha wrote an expose um, that won the Pulitzer in 1973, the same year as Watergate. Mm. Um, And it was an expose on fundraising um, um, at Boys Town because uh, Boys Town had again, spent an extraordinary amount of money um, fundraising uh, for the needy children of Boys Town, but nobody really ever knew how much money they had raised or what they were doing with the money. Um, An interesting tidbit is that Warren Buffett, who was an owner in that newspaper at the time, was their tipster to look into this, and um, they obtained um, the Form 990s, um, which are the tax forms of the nonprofit that were available for the first time that year. Um, so the reason I wanted to write a personal piece was um, because the category that they won the Pulitzer for local investigative um, reporting doesn't even exist in the Pulitzers anymore because there are so few local investigative reporters. But I thought if I wrote something, um, I needed to look into Boys Town and start reading up um, and see how they're doing now and see what their plans for the future um, were and um, how the organization had changed over time. And as I was doing this, some things really struck me as somebody who had written so extensively on child welfare and on nonprofits over time.
0: So, Yeah. And, And part of this series of articles here is really a, um, Uh, A nice piece of advice for those of us who contribute to charitable organizations. um, How to evaluate a charity before you give, and uh, how much government regulation there are on charities. Uh, Go into what you found out there.
1: Well, so one of the things that I learned, you know, as somebody who had been writing so much about nonprofits over the years, is that, you know, we go to places, these nonprofit trackers, and we expect, because they may get a gold star rating, that they are very efficient in their fundraising. And and that's not necessarily true. Boys Town um, now spends about $63 million a year on fundraising. It's, it's a lot of money, because they still spend a lot of money on direct mail, which is very costly. Um, and that's you know, that's almost as much as they spend on all their programming in Iowa and Nebraska. And so um, to one of the ways that you can really examine a charity is to look at their fundraising efficiency. And to do that, you kind of have to look yourself um, at their um, consolidated financial reports where you'll see how much an organization spends on um, their own overhead costs, but also fundraising. Mm -hmm.
0: But you're also saying that sort of these well-known nonprofit trackers, GuideStar, Charity Navigator, don't provide that information at all times about charities?
1: No, they don't. And the the other thing that is really getting tricky about all this is that a lot of nonprofits will have separate endowments like Boys Town. So most of Boys Town's wealth is in an endowment that is not rated by any charity tracker. Um, it's got $1.1 billion um, in its own endowment, which is called Father Flanagan's Fund for Needy Children. Um, so when you're looking at a nonprofit, you, you kind of need to know if they have an endowment. They may have several um, smaller nonprofits, um, that may be part of the bigger nonprofit. And and you can find that on Consolidated Financial Reports where all of a nonprofit's different entities will have to be listed in that same financial statement. Mm-hmm.
0: You said Boys Town has around $1.8 billion, now spending almost as much on fundraising as its programs uh, cost to run in Nebraska and here in Iowa um that is that is unusual for a nonprofit to spend that much on fundraising.
1: Yeah, it's definitely in the in the top one percent nationally um of nonprofits in terms of what it raises um every year. Um that's an extraordinary amount of money. But another way to look at it is how much money they spend in order to raise a hundred dollars. Um and Nonprofit watchdogs that we talked to um, have said that at Boys Town isn't a very efficient fundraiser and hasn't been for years. They're spending, you know, thirty-five to forty-five dollars to raise every hundred dollars, um, depending on the year, over time, and that's a lot of money, you know. Other other. Charities do a much better and more efficient job of using donor dollars.
0: I wonder if you've had a look at how this fundraising money is used to raise funds. Does it use the image of Father Flanagan, for instance?
1: Yeah, and that, and that is that's uh, one thing that we also looked at. Um, you know, it's a very saleable image when you approach people. You know, through direct direct mail and social media. And you show all these needy kids who are on this campus, who are graduating from high school and all these very touching moments. But Boys Town itself has many, many programs these days and its residential programs are now um, not by any means the biggest part of the nonprofit overall. So they're using these images of needy kids um, to raise money, but that's that's not the biggest uh, portion of the nonprofit anymore, as I said. Um, It has a research hospital in Omaha that has a couple locations. They also have outpatient clinics there. Um, And all that accounts for more than 40% of their budget every year. It has nothing to do with the kids that are living um, on the Omaha campus or in its very small residential programs in a handful of other states around the country. Um, So, you know, that was something for us to kind of analyze as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Lee Root, as we finish up this conversation, I wonder what you've received. Uh, it's been several days since this series has been out, and as you noted earlier, there are chapters yet to be written. You're waiting to hear back from uh, some of the players here. Uh, what can you tell us about the notable reaction you've had to this series of articles and this months-long project?
1: I've received um, lots of um, emails um and phone calls from people in Iowa and Nebraska um about the stories. I was surprised. I thought that there would be more of a backlash from uh, the Catholic community um in Nebraska. I grew up in a Catholic neighbor in neighborhood in Omaha and uh we you know, lots of friends loved Boys Town and there were people who worked at Boys Town and um because Boys Town has always sort of been affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church in Omaha. They've always um, had a hand in helping pick um their national directors but really i think that people are starting to understand um that um this kind of thing um does happen um at facilities and is is cause for concern um uh in terms of the abuse of children there um it's been very very supportive um the stories have run um on a nonprofit news site in Nebraska, and we've gotten good feedback there. And as I said earlier, we're just going to keep reporting and um, keep looking into this um, as time goes on.
0: Yeah. With what ultimate goal?
1: I think, you know, if there's anything that I learned uh, or remembered, I guess I should say, about reporting uh, on something like this is that, we were just trying to shine a light on a problem and you know you in order um for change to happen sometimes you have to keep shining a light um i don't know where this will take us um but we we definitely want to raise awareness um about the vulnerability of the children um who live at boys town and other residential facilities like it
0: mhm lee what have been the you've done so much work as the watchdog columnist there at the Des Moines Register how does this stack up to some of the other work that you've done in terms of i guess the, the challenges that you faced here and what you discovered
1: well this was um an unusual story for us because um Boystown is in another state um Uh, We are very grateful to the Pulitzer Center to, you know, they gave us this $3,000 grant, which helped us with some of the expenses of going over to Nebraska and reporting it. Um, You know, I try to keep um, the column um, subject matter diverse, but focus on issues that are important to Iowans. I think um, this was important because of all the um, um, other reports that we're hearing nationally. Um, involving youth homes across america um boys town um is one of the m- most respective homes in the country and you you sort of have to ask if it's happening there, um, not that a problem um, compared to other columns you know i just i just try to take them as they come ben and and um try to to focus uh my limited resources where I can do the most good, you know? Yeah. Um, and I want to, I want to do a mix of things that can be helpful to all, all islands.
0: Yeah. What is your hope here regarding Boystown? Um, if we would think about Boys Town existing in five, 10 years, how would it be different because of your shedding light on this and others being aware of it?
1: Well, you know, you try not to have hopes, um when you do stories but i think the the most troubling thing about all this um is the lack of transparency and um i think that we learned from some of the clergy abuse and other types of abuse of children that have happened over time um that it's not helpful um and it's just not prudent um to kind of shroud these kinds of things um um in secrecy and if anything i hope that boys town would be much more transparent in the future um because they owe it to the to the vulnerable kids who live there
0: we heard a few minutes ago uh, about one of the young women who was uh, sexually assaulted at boys town the lawsuit that resulted uh the settlement there she and another young woman um personally for you is it how difficult it is to, is it to cover a story like this with these personal stories? Kids who are already vulnerable uh, being handed off to um, a charitable organization and then to be preyed upon um, by others. I, I would just think, putting myself in your shoes, it's there were some some tough days in in the months of covering this story.
1: Yeah, I'm just. I think that and all of the other stories that I've done um related to kids who have been abused in Iowa it's um very very frustrating sometimes that we don't take this more seriously because when you interview these young people you realize that um the abuse that they suffer um will have lifelong consequences most of these kids um will have you know PTSD um, a a lot of, um, anxiety, frustration, lack of trust. Um, they're left with lifelong problems. And, um, often we get in situations anymore where, um, the adults who, who run an organization are very, very worried about their reputation and, um, you know, they're doing their best to protect themselves. But, but, it's the kids that I think about when I report these stories, and um, I try to keep that at the forefront. Yeah, and it shows.
0: Investigative journalist Lee Rude, uh, thank you for being on our program today, and thank you for this very important work. Uh, we are so glad here at Iowa Public Radio to raise awareness about the problem that you have focused on in this series of, um, of columns and this months-long project. Thank you so much for your work, Lee.
1: Thank you, Ben, and thanks for sharing it um, with more Iowans. I really appreciate it.
0: And that's it for today's program, River to River Today, produced by Danny Gear. Our executive producer is Katherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.